Good morning, church. Morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all our mothers in here, and I know we're going to do that again. We'll go. We'll do it twice today. Happy Mother's Day. So thankful for our mothers uh, here this morning. We're on page uh, 51 in our study guides, studying scripture in community. <coughs> The central truth uh, says the New Testament was written to read publicly. Under Let's Get Started, it says, While studying Scripture individually is an important part of uh, growing our relationship with God, personal study does not replace the need to study the Bible with others. All right, so let me give you a couple things to kind of go on some of the problems that we have today currently in our culture and kind of compared to some of the things that they had did uh, back in uh, Jesus' day. And kind of how their culture ran and dictated some of the things that they did. So when it says here, while studying scripture individually is important, it seems that to me, most of the time, everybody is okay with reading scripture by themselves. Or everybody's okay with that. And, and the reason that we accept that so readily is because we do live in such an individualistic culture. And I think it's, it's driven into us at a very young age... And I'm not saying that this is a wrong thing. I don't want you thinking that I'm saying that this is a bad thing or, or inherently wrong, because it's not. I'm simply saying that at a very young age, we start teaching our children, and we were taught to be individualistic. Stand on your own two feet. Learn to uh, take care of yourself. Uh, move out of the house. Don't rely on mom and dad. Make sure you carry your own weight. Pay your own bills. Do your own thing, right? Now, that's good stuff. We need that. We absolutely need need those things but the the individualism sometimes takes another level even when it comes into the the church itself we become so individualistic like it's like it's it's my area it's my spot it's my study and i don't want no one else involved in it and so you see a you see different people having different attitudes about why they even attend church or why they shouldn't attend church uh i i kind of do my own thing i hear a lot of that and we're starting to see Something even happening in the church where church attendance is dropping and people are starting to come up with different ideas as to why they're not going to attend a group gathering. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it that because if I call it church, then people get offended and they're like, yeah, well, I've got my reasons why I don't show up at church or why I don't really like to attend church. Okay, that's I, I get it. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're not avoiding a group gathering because of our own perspective and our own views. Sometimes we... We don't really understand the value in something, and so yet, because our culture is so individualistic, we just follow an individual way. Kind of like this. Individualistically, today, you're going to make a series of decisions. Mother's Day, you're going to take mom out to eat. You're going to make a decision about where you go to eat. And the whole day is based on individual decisions. Deciding what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. And while that is a very powerful thing, you have to you have to understand how that is permeated into our culture and how that bleeds over into the church and into what happens within these walls in the way that we study. We carry a lot of baggage from our culture in here. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I'm going to study it the way I want to study it. No, that's not the way I think that what that means. That's not what that means. It's what I say it means. That's individualistic. And while I do 
applaud the fact that we can have a good discussion. Um, our culture has stepped over the line in the individualism department, and now we're, we're, we're way over in another category, and I'm using that in within the realm of church because a lot of times church is not the way it needs to be. It's because everyone is so individualistic. You just want to be me. I'm gonna, I want to be me. You don't bother me. Well, there's a lot of people that would love to come to church and just not talk to anybody. Amen. We're kind of missing the point, aren't we? I mean, isn't it about fellowship and about you know being together and the togetherness of it? Well, I think I think that because it's because because of the individualistic culture, we struggle against that and we fight against that. And I think if we're all honest, we all have a a, a part of that that we fight against. I mean, we have to really push ourselves at times to get into those group gatherings and to enjoy a group congregation because we're so individualistic. We're like, well, I can just do, I can do whatever you're doing here. I can do that at the house. Missing the point. We're missing the point completely. So let's make sure that we're not carrying our culture into uh, our studies. So it says, none of us have a complete understanding of God's word. Can we all say amen to that? Amen. I, don't have an, I don't have a complete understanding of it. And it seems like the more I look at it and the more I study it, the less I know. And even each of us can contribute to another person's growth. Additionally, we can help each other by avoiding interpretation errors. From Old Testament times forward, God's people gathered to hear the reading of God's word and, to, and commit to follow it. It should be no different today. The idea is that iron sharpens iron. Amen. The idea is that we come for the benefit of each other. That's the idea. Now, the reason that sounds foreign is because we were not raised that way. We were, we, because we were, and you'll often hear me refer to this, but a lot of it does have to do with our culture's wealth. A lot of, a lot of, think about what you, your grandparents and the things that they talked about, the things that they went through. They talk about, Things that we don't know anything about. They talked about their neighbors and the value of having a neighbor. They talked about the value of having somebody close by. If something went wrong, you could go and, and get help or you could get assistance and how they would help each other out in jams and situations. It's less like that the, more, the farther we move into the years because we've become more individualistic. And so we, we, it seems foreign to think we're going to come together study together in that a group gathering or enjoying each other and being able to sharpen each other through the sharing of scriptures and hearing other people's uh, testimonies or what someone else has went through or what God is doing in someone else's life it's almost like an oddity now it's like it's it's, it's a weird thing to hear somebody share something like that and then to actually buy into it it's like, yeah, church is good, or a gathering is good. Those are all great and fine. But when it's over, I just want to be by myself. I want to be left alone. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I get it, and I understand it. And I, like I said, I think we all fight against that temptation, but we have to realize the value of gathering together. The value of, and I could go off on this tangent. I'm not going to because we, for the sake of time, but the value of group faith. The value of being in a, in a, in a group of people that have the same faith in the same perspective and we all serve the same God. Right? Amen. I mean, we've, we've said this before and this is a very simple argument to bring up that if I am in a jam and I need prayer, I want somebody that believes in my God and my Father praying for me. Amen. 
and it is so much more advantageous to me to be in the already in the group of those people that I know and they know me. They know my struggles, they know what I've been dealing with, and I know some of their struggles and what they're dealing with. And so when I say, hey, would you pray for me because I'm dealing with this, isn't it better, though, to have somebody support you in that than to be alone? Amen. But our, our, our flesh, what does it say? What do you hear that thing say? I know I'm not the only one that hears this stuff. It says you can do it alone. You don't need no help. You got to tell me that I'm not the only. You can't be telling me I'm the only person that hears that. That flesh says you can do it alone. You don't need no help. That is that is such uh, that is such a trap to fall into. So well, I mean, if I follow that, well, think about it. If you let's just say you obey that, I don't need any help. All right, you're on your own. It's the way you want it, right? And we go on and we go on and we we find it. We trip and we fall. We, we've all admitted we all have faults, right? So you're in your faults. In dealing with your faults on your own. You're dealing with your circumstances individually, on your own. You don't get no help. Are we so arrogant and prideful that we don't even want any help anymore? Have we got to that place in our culture and, and as individuals in humanity, and I'm talking about the humanity of, of American culture, have we gotten to the point so far out there where we don't want anyone else's help anymore? I would... It's, it's, it's almost like, I, and I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not saying I've heard people say this, I'm, I'm talking about the actions, because actions speak louder than the words, and we obviously know that. It's like people are saying, I would rather die than take help. I, I, would, I would rather just deal with my stuff and let it take me into the ground instead of ask for help from somebody. The church was never designed that way. The church was designed as a group, not with the individual in mind, but as a, as a, a group effort all striving for the same goal, right? And there's only one heaven, last time I checked. And we're all going, if, 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 the, if we believe, then we're all going to the same place, correct? I, I kind of think it's funny, you know, we're going to avoid each other our whole lives and then be in heaven together forever. I just think that's an interesting contrast, that we're, we would avoid each other here, and not want to be around each other, but yet, when we get to heaven, like God's going to give you your own little spot in heaven where you don't have to talk to nobody. I don't think it's going to go down quite like that. And I think a lot of um, like not wanting to talk about stuff too is your pride and being judged by another. Person. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good, and I think it works two ways too. It's it's the it's the judgment. You don't want to you don't want to be judged. But I also realize on my part, I've also by I've judged other people, mm-hmm. and it's like this two-way street. And and I guess I guess I want to say it like this, and I'm glad you said that because it I would say that that's a a problematic thing that the church has to approach. <laughs> Let's put it this way: If you're going to church, I can guarantee you there ain't not one person around you perfect. Amen. Amen. And that's, I'm I'm glad you brought the point up, mm-hmm. so that we can confront that. Is there a possibility that someone is judging you? Yeah. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Like a really good chance that yeah. that is the high percentage chance mm-hmm. that you're being judged for some reason or another. Mm-hmm. All right, now, let's take that. What are you going to do with it? I'll quit church. I'm never going back. Really? They judge me on the job. Um, that's, I'm telling you, that point is great. We got other people saying and doing other things to us, but why is it in the church that there's no tolerance, no love? 
Why is it that the very place that we should be the most forgiving and the most tolerant, the very, the very societal cornerstone should be the church? Pastor, you were just talking about this the other night. Judgment begins in the house of God. And that the church should be the representation of, of God himself. Should be the place of love and forgiveness. But yet we're, we're so intolerant of each other. And ready to just snap moment's notice. Think about that. Just think, of, think about that. And so is there still value in the church? Yes, of course there's value in group gathering and group study. Absolutely. But we're going, we're going to have to be more, um, have a higher expectation of what the value is of it and what I've come to receive than if somebody says something to me that I don't like. Because that's inevitable. That's going to happen. You're, you're going to do something that I don't like. I'm going to do something that you don't like. That sure enough don't mean we need to go to separate, necessarily have to go to separate churches and the fact that I don't want to ever see or talk to you again. That's ridiculous. But I think that's where our society, and we've taken a lot of baggage from our society and we've brought it within the church. And then we respond and act like that. That's just another part in the, the overall deterioration. Yeah. Of what you're talking about. Yeah, because I think so. You know, we have to look at what the obvious issues and problems are within the parameters of the, the institution on earth. That's, right. And uh, and be willing to be truthful and honest. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a broad, broad. Yes, it is. Because there's many things involved. Yes. But that's the very glue that holds the body of Christ together. It's called accord biblically. Yeah. You can't have total accord without love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's again the attack right now is to divide and conquer. Yeah, divide. Do away. do away with the accord, do away with the fellowship, do away with the unity, therefore you have nothing. Right. Exactly. And so, yeah, going, looking at these things that we're going to be talking about, and obviously the emphasis uh, is in the value of gathering together as a group and studying Scripture and what comes from that because we are a family. We are family. Spiritually speaking, you are a family. And so we have to handle it like family. All right, let's keep going. We, this is just the introduction. We haven't got this stuff yet. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Let's see where we're at. Um, yeah, last paragraph. Uh, from the beginning, the community of Jesus' followers formed. The Holy Spirit's out, outpouring was immersed in the teaching of Jesus' apostles. Like Jesus, the apostles anchored their message in the Old Testament. God's revealed story, which has reached redemptive climax through the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Christ. The Holy Spirit used this teaching to shape and strengthen the new community as they read and studied the scriptures in their house church gatherings. All right. Page 52, let's read our scriptures. Go ahead. Acts 2.41 Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Acts 17.10 That very night the believers sent Paul and Silas to Syria. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Syria were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. I've never said it like that. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the ordinary <coughs> Greek women and men. 
1824. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. <coughs> Apollos had been thinking about going to oh my gosh, Achaia, That's and right. the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Colossians 4.15 Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters in Laodicea mm -hmm. and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. 1 Timothy 4.11 Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Page 53. I want to say one thing, too, before we get into the section one, that I a lot of, too, if you read some of these, you know, talk about the house gatherings and stuff that were mentioned here in Scripture, and we'll probably talk about it again here in a minute, but, but a lot of that was, was spawned by persecution of the church in that time. I mean, you'd have to study the history of that to understand exactly why they met the way that they did. So, I mean, even the name, you got to think about it, Christian. The name Christian was actually given uh, to God's people as a mockery. It, it was made just to mock them, so they actually took it, and they were like, yeah, fine, that'll work. Christians, Christ-like. That, that, that was mockery back then. And so they would meet in secret and get each other, gather at each other's houses because they weren't accepted. One of the reasons that uh, they were, uh, one of the reasons that we are so individualistic is because we have never had to deal with that. It's like, well, yeah, of course, if you live, if you live in a society that allows you to come and do as you please, and there's no fear of, of repercussions from your faith, then what are you going to do? Whatever you want. But if you're persecuted and you know that a group is persecuted continually, what are you going to seek out? You're going to seek each other out. You're going to look for each other. You say, wait, wait, wait. Listen, when I say, when I'm talking about persecution too, you have to understand we're talking about, we're not talking about having you, having you canceled on social media. I'm talking about having you stoned. And if, you, and if the prospect of death it becomes real, if it's real, you're going to bind together. If it's real, you're going to meet, you're going to be happy to meet in secret. You're going to be happy to get with the brothers and sisters. You're going to be happy to pray with each other. Yes, why? Because it's a life and death situation. We need to stick together. That's going to be the idea. Stick together at all costs. If you read the historical accounts and what these people went through, it takes on a different tone. Because we don't understand that, and that's one of the reasons we've ended up in the position that we are in now is because we've never been forced to have to bind together. Thank God. 
But if, if we become, if you go over that line just a couple steps, you become too relaxed. And we become, we take it too for granted that we're gathered here. It would. Can, can we agree that it would be different if the place was surrounded by militia saying that the, you're not allowed to enter this church? What went on here is not allowed? We'll shoot you if you try to come in. We're going to have to meet somewhere. We'll meet online. Uh, you know. <laughs> Seriously, though. You see, you see just a couple steps into that, and it takes on a completely different look. We don't understand that. We don't know what that's like. I'm sorry, Jennifer, go ahead. Well, we did get a little taste of it. Yeah, yeah. We did get a little taste <laughs> yeah. of it. I mean, yeah. COVID kind of knocked us out, but we didn't stop. Sure, no. We had church right there in our cars. Yep. We weren't supposed to go anywhere and, and fellowship and do anything like that. Right. But we did get a little, and because we were here, I think we did grow stronger. Yeah, I, I do. And if you think back, I mean, when you're in the moment, but that was, it was a very chaotic time in our nation. <laughs> It was a very chaotic time. There was a lot of, lot of question marks, and, and, and you're right. That was just a small taste to be pushed in a direction that we were not used to. And it's like, okay, all of a sudden now, what we took, what we assumed would always be there, it, it, didn't, it wasn't taken away per se, but it started to slip. And we were like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? You're saying don't go to church? Like, whoa, this is real now. And so, yeah, I think a lot of what we ex have experienced uh, in our country as far as the freedoms that we, we, we have, have been, we, we take them for granted, and we don't realize why they've done the, the gatherings the way they did back in Jesus' day, especially the first hundred years after all of that, and Paul was making his trips and doing everything that he was doing, and the disciples were doing their thing and spreading the word. There was a ton of persecution at that time. And so we, don't, we do not know what that is like. And I'm not a doomsday person. I'm not going to try to influence you in in the way of thinking well you know absolutely it's going to happen that way but you got to ask yourself if this keeps going the way that it's going could we face some of the persecution the way that they did then well it's happening in other parts of the world right now the only thing that <laughs> i don't even get into this but the only thing that separates us from them is a it's a thing called the constitution mm -hmm. you can you can knock that and you can doubt that and you can say whatever you want it's the constitution that keeps those hands out of your basket so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Um, Acts 2, 41-47 depicts the fledgling church in Jerusalem immediately following the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The word many had received was Peter's sermon in which he proclaimed Jesus as Messiah, explained the promise and experience of the Spirit, and exhorted repentance and water baptism. Obviously, he's going to exhort that because that was what Christ was about. He said he exhorted repentance, number one, which is what? The repentance of what? Sin. sin. The repentance of sin is not, let me make sure we understand what it's not. The repentance of sin is not, I'm sorry. It's not. The, the, the repentance, when you repent of sin, that means you're walking away from sin. You're going in another direction. That is a change. There's a change that goes in, uh, on inside of you uh, uh, from the mental aspect from the heart aspect you're going in another direction that's what repentance is that's what we are lacking today is people under because you can't repent church you can't repent of something that you don't accept as being so so if people don't accept sin as being actual sin then what is there to repent of that's that's the problem today it's like we got all these semantics going on and people changing the words and the meanings and the names and 
all of this stuff. And so <clears throat> repentance isn't a real big topic today. And when you do bring it up, it's it's uncomfortable and people get un, uneasy and, and then they start saying, are you saying I got something wrong with me? Yes. Yes, we all have something wrong with us. Yes, let me just say it like that. Yes, every one of us have something wrong with us, with us and it is a sin problem. <coughs> it's our it's our natural inclination of the flesh to want to do something that God does not want you to do. And I'll put it that way. It's an inclination to go in the other direction. And so he was he was exhorting after the fall of the Holy Spirit. He was he was saying, "Hey, everybody needs to repent. If you want to know how to to, to be where we're at, you need to repent of your sin and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, what the baptism was, was not, I'm alluding to this because I want to make sure you understand, it wasn't a part of the salvation. It was the representation of what had been done. Amen. All right? Make sure we understand that because a lot of people get there that they say, well, he commanded that, that we're supposed to, that, that somehow that baptism, I've heard people give this argument before, baptism has to be paired with that or you're not saved disagree with that the, the baptism is is simply a, a symbolic connotation of what just took place in your life you went down dirty you come up clean that's what that is and it was meant to be outward for everybody to see that was the purpose of it everybody needs to see your commitment to christ everybody needs to do that and so and it's like in our culture today people are like that makes me uncomfortable though I'm with you. It made me uncomfortable. And I spend most of my time in front of people. But it made me uncomfortable. I was like, man, I don't really want to do all this baptism stuff. But the, the, the idea is that I want to make sure, though, that you know where I stand spiritually. And that I have repented of my sin. And I am not, a, I'm not the old man anymore. I have become a new creature. Amen. And I'm not ashamed of that. And so if you're telling me that baptism, just the act of a baptism, is the way that, that we do that, sure. I'll do it. I'll go down. I'll get dunked. It's just representation, but I'll do it. You see? So it's not, no, are they paired together completely? No, they're not. You don't, it's not about baptism being a part of that, but you should want that outward, um, that outward expression to be shown to all. Following the day of Pentecost, Luke described the body of believers as uh, devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So what do we have here in verse 42? We have unification. They're all together with one purpose and one thing in mind. We're going to do this thing together. Devotion to the apostles' teaching was an immediate effect of the Spirit's outpouring. The Holy Spirit inspired the authorship of Scripture. It is entirely to be expected that Spirit-filled people would be committed to studying the world. Word. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? I mean... It's, it's to, uh, could we say that that's an expectation? Yeah. It's a bar that we, we have to shoot for. It's like, well, if, if I'm going to be a part of this, then a part of this is studying the scriptures. A part of this is putting myself in a place where I am convicted and being told that I'm wrong and I need to make improvements in certain areas in my life. I mean, all right, well, ask yourself this question. If you don't believe that, then what are you here for? Right now. What are we here for this morning? Are we not here to hear the word of God? Amen. Well, hearing the word of God isn't always a pleasant thing. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, there isn't this guarantee when you walk in the door that what pastor is going to bring is going to make you feel all fuzzy inside. 
there's a pretty good chance that when you walk out of here on Sunday morning that you're going to feel like, man, I'm not where I need to be. Can anyone attest to that? Okay, then you understand then why you subject yourself to the word. It's to become more like Christ. And the only way you and I can be more Christ-like is to do away with the old habits of self. It's to put away any existing evidence of the old man. And to make sure we look as close to him as we possibly can. That's why we study the scripture. That's why we come to hear the preaching of the word. We want to get closer to God. We say that. How many of us want to get closer to God? Everybody raises their hand. I want to get closer to God. But how is that actually done? What's getting you out of the way? It's old self dying and new self ruling. And allowing God not just to be an option, but to be the Lord of your life. That's a that's a big thing. That's not just something. That's not like a, that's not like a buffet line where you can go and just pick what you want, and then cast off the rest of it. When you take on Christ, you take every bit of His Word, Amen. every bit of His commands, everything. And so, throughout the years that you spend studying the Word, you you begin to get the explanation as to why you do it. You don't always know it immediately but we study it and we start to see it. it's like oh yeah you know what i'm wrong there yeah i got to get better in that yeah that was a good word because i see now that i have i've done some things and said some things to people that have hurt their feelings and i've done things contradictory to the teachings of the lord you need to hear that amen you have got to hear that and so i i, I just give a warning that when you subject yourself to the word of God, you're probably going to be offended to some degree. That old man is going to rise up and say, nonsense. You can continue to live like you're living and you'll be fine. You don't need that stuff. You don't need to change. Oh, man. I've heard that voice a lot in my life. You don't need to change. Don't worry about all that stuff. Yeah, you need to worry about it. It's essential. So some other characteristics of the early church, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, prayer, generous sharing, signs and wonders, joy, praise, etc. Go naturally with Bible study, which contributes to the successful mission and growth of the church, both in numbers and spiritual maturity. Absolutely. <coughs> Should we be worried about the numbers? No, it's just a byproduct of putting God first. This is, the pastor and I have talked about this. This is why you don't see a number board in here. <coughs> you don't see a number board in here because we don't want to focus on the numbers. Is it nice to see the pews full? Well, of course it is. It's encouraging. It's good. It's good to see people show up for church. That's a good thing. But if you get too focused on numbers, then you think it's a numbers game. Putting God first and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And then when people come to that, that's a simple byproduct. I'm not really worried so much if there was 90 one week and 70 the next week, I'm not so much concerned in that. I just want to make sure that what we do within these walls is authentic. Amen. And if we do that, I believe that we get it all right. Amen. Everything's going to fall into place. Everything's going to happen the way it needs to. Conviction's going to be correct. Um, you're going to feel convicted. <coughs> how many, uh, those of you that have spent some time in Rock Harbor Church, how many of you often feel convicted by the message that pastor ministers? <laughs> Look at these hands, pastor. Amen. That means that something is being done correctly. Yes, yeah. amen. So the Holy Spirit is welcome here. You should feel convicted. You should feel upset. 
with having to hear a message and and put it inside your heart and then carry it out of here and you think man i've got a, i've got some major revamping that i need to do that's so healthy for you very good come on heather Andrew. john go ahead brother i think a big key to it is humility and being humble well, that's good and, and being, yeah that's really good being able to be open and uh, i got two things the scripture that goes along with the the, the idea that i keep getting in my head is about humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. Cast all your cares upon Him because He cares, he cares for you. For you. Uh, be sober and watchful, because the adversary, your devil, walks around as a roaring lion, yeah. seeking whom he may devour. Yep. And I just see like a big herd. We're all a big herd, and the devil's just looking for that one person in the church that's straggling off yeah. to pick them off and, and drag them away yeah. and devour them. Yes, and that's a good point. So, unfortunately, sometimes that's been me. I've been sure. a straggler wandering off on the side. Oh, look, it's a butterfly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're like, yeah. oh, feel so good. Tonk. Chasing that butterfly. And, and you got to stay together as a pack, or he's gonna, just going to pick you off. That's right. That's good. Okay, let's keep moving. For their own protection, Paul and Silas have been sent away from Thessalonica, where hostility to Paul's preaching had endangered them and their followers. Luke commended the uh, Bereans for their openness to gospel preaching provided that it held up under rigorous scriptural scrutiny. Many of the Bereans believed not only Jews, but also Gentiles. They were most likely God-fearers, Gentiles who had not fully committed to Judaism, but had come to respect and honor the one true God. While many churches and, and ministries have used the name Berean in honor of these believers' dedication to search the scriptures, several more qualities of the Bereans should also be emulated. One is love for God and his word. Um, that's where all... Um, the, the brands are known for their apologetics and, and what apologetics means you've probably heard me say talk about it before you may have wondered uh apologetics is in defense of that's what the word means apologetics so it's it's the defense of god's word from a theological and an intellectual standpoint it's it's pointing out discrepancies in other belief systems that do not coordinate with god's word that's what that is the Bereans were known for that. Actually, you can look that up on the internet. You can, uh, it's not called Berean uh, anymore. It's uh, Berea, V-E-R-I-A. You can look that up on the internet, and they'll give you a full-blown history of what was the Bereans and their dedication and devotion to God's word. And a lot of apologetics come from that because they were devoted. And poly you got to understand something, too, about apologetics. Apologetics is different. I mean, these people know, the people that study apologetics, they know God's word front to back, and they know the history of it. They know the, the Greek interpretations of it. They understand the philosophy behind it. Uh, I would never want to be in a debate with an apologist. It's a different critter. And if you've ever wanted to know somebody that knows how to handle the word really well, watch a debate with an apologist. It's unbelievable. I mean, these people know their stuff. And a lot of that word-drivenness come from Berea and the Bereans. So... They investigated what they heard because of devotion. They were also open-minded. The Bereans received the word with all readiness of mind. They were uh, commended for their receptivity paired with a uh, love-driven search for truth, which is exactly what you and I should be looking at. So it's such a great example. That's exactly what we're looking for when we come in here as a group. We come in together as a group. Uh, as pastors mentioned before, we're not here for entertainment. I'm not here for a social gathering. Do we get benefited in that way? Yes, but it is not a social gathering. We're here to help each other. We're here to, uh, to hear God's word together. 
And so we should come in with receptivity and a love and a drive and a search for the truth. That's what we want. Whether it hurts my feelings or not, I want to know the truth. What often happens is people walk in the doors with a narrative. If you, if you come into church with a narrative, maybe you want to prove somebody wrong. Maybe you want to prove the teacher wrong. If you come in for a, with a narrative, other than truth-seeking, you're here for the wrong reason. You're just here, you're here for the wrong reason. We're not here for narratives. And, and while having your opinion is your right, not only as a human, but also in this country, your opinion doesn't always matter. <laughs> you say, well, it's easy for you to say. You're the one up front telling everybody stuff. I've had to learn that over and over and over and over again in my life. That not all the time does my opinion matter. True. Even when, I, when I'm 100% quite certain I'm right. Your opinion doesn't always matter. Yeah. And as, as a, you know, in the Bible they always call them Levites. Sometimes I refer to us as Americanites. As an Americanite, you've been taught that your opinion matters more than anything else. And that's one of the downfalls of the teaching in our culture and our country. That your opinion matters more than the next person's. Let me take a couple steps back. Could take, take a, let's take a step back. Let's take a couple steps back. What God says is what matters. Amen. And when we line up with that, then I don't really care whether you and I disagree or not. Amen. We might disagree on some... some uh, uh, some theological issues. We might disagree with certain little little things over here, little things over there, but those are not deal breakers. Those are not deal breakers. We should agree on what thus saith the Lord. Amen. And if we can agree on that, then we can go somewhere. We can do it together. We can grow. Things can work out. You're not always going to agree with the person sitting next to you. And I think it's so crazy because that's, that's the idea is that when we're in church, we should all just agree on the very same thing. No, there's going to be some differences. There's going to be some little differences. But if you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you study the same word that I do, I'm quite certain you do, and we're all reading the Bible, then we're all in this together. Amen. And there's not a lot that should knock us off course. Unless we've come with our own narrative. And we got some other idea as to why we're here. If that's the case, then this, may, this, this is not going to be the best experience for you. So... Um, we got to reevaluate. What are we here for? What do we come for? What do we come to receive? What do we come looking for? All right. Um, let's see where I was at the bottom. All right. Paul and Silas did not experience negativity from the Bereans themselves, but Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians came and stirred up trouble. Both groups heard the same message Jesus is the Messiah, but only the Bereans uh, listened for and investigated the truth. They were looking. Let's go to part two. Biblical mentoring enhances understanding. Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria, a large city in Egypt, which was famous for intellectual culture. At some point, Apollos came in contact with believers and responded with faith. As an enthusiastic new believer with extensive knowledge of the Old Testament and a gift for speaking, he immediately began to preach and teach. But scripture notes that his knowledge was incomplete. Aquila and Priscilla, church leaders and tent-making missionaries, heard Apollos speak. Recognizing his deficiency, but also seeing his potential, they began to mentor him. They took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. And I, I want to make a point 
on this is that everybody wants to be a teacher. Everybody. And I mean this from, from all angles. Everybody wants to be an authority of whatever subject it is to be the one that teaches someone else. But if you understand how that works in, it's kind of like what come first, the chicken or the egg kind of theory, the idea. Well, what come first before the teach, the uh, teaching someone being taught? You have to be taught before you can teach. And that's the way it is throughout life. I don't know if you guys have realized this or not, but if you want extra knowledge, you can't be prideful. You can't be arrogant. You, you can't be wrapped up in yourself. If you want to have a, let's put it this way, if you want to be an old, old dog that learns a new trick, you have to put away yourself. Submit to the teaching and take the hits until you learn the knowledge that you wish to learn. The, the only way that can be done is getting yourself out of the way. Now, every one of us love the idea of being the teacher. Not everybody. I, I don't know what the percentages are. I don't know what the numbers are. Let's just say the majority of us don't like being taught. We don't like being taught. Why? Culture didn't teach you that. We don't teach submission. We teach rise to the top. Be first. Strike heavy, strike hard. You know, all this, this crazy philosophical stuff. Not understanding that in order for you to be, and, I've, I've, and I'm not going to tell you that I've, I'm any expert in it. I'm not. I'm just going to tell you. I have put it to study. I've studied, and I wondered. I said, how do, how do people that are successful, how do they make it to where they're at? How do they acquire wealth? How do they actually pull that off? How are you any different than, than the commoner? How do you do that? I'm going to tell you what the difference was. The difference is what that their whole life is dedicated to learning. That's how they do it. Their whole life is dedicated to learning. That's all they do. 24-7. Now, it's not a lifestyle I could live. But I got it. And the fundamental is the same. Is if you dedicate and devote yourself to God's word and to learning God's word and not getting your way all of the time, you're going to get something out of it. Amen. Something is going to grow from your situation. But you're going to have to get out of the way. And I also feel like if maybe we could take a step back from, yes, I do believe we are living in the greatest country in the world. I, I, wholeheart, I teach that to my kindergarten kids. Sure. But, I mean, I feel like if we could take a step back and we could appreciate other cultures, because like the Dutch, the way that yeah, they live in their culture is how can I fit in best with the people around me? How can we get along? How can we have a community? And when I saw that, I was like, man, that would be perfect for the church to take on. Yes. And like yeah. our culture to take on is how can I grow a community around myself? Because that's how they do. And here we are just not taught that. We are taught, yes. all right, you are going to rise to the top all by yourself. Everything is on you. And I don't, I don't really buy into that. I feel like we should have more of a community, especially believers should. Yeah. Well, you, we applaud those stories. And those stories usually are the ones that get all the attention. Uh, not so much the, the the group, but what the individual has done. And you got to admit, our, our, we celebrate that as a country. I mean, we'll put somebody on a pedestal, put them at yeah. the top. Look at all the things they overcame. You can do the same thing. No, well, you can't. Those are unique circumstances. Mm -hmm. You ever look at somebody's past and look at their history and then figure out how they ended up where they ended up? No, that's never going to happen to you. It's not. It's a very unique situation. Um, 
isolating a story like that and then putting a magnifying glass on it, I think is uh, it's unhealthy. Uh, especially in the light of that we should be pulling together. What that does is push us farther apart. It makes us harder to gel together. It's like, I don't want to get with any of y'all. Y'all are holding me back. Oh my gosh. I mean, what is, what, what are we, what's going on up here when we think our own brothers and sisters in Christ are holding us back? You already got it figured out, or at least you think you do. That's good, brother. Okay. Here we see some precedents for biblical mentoring. First, Priscilla and Aquila approached Apollos privately. They did not publicly lecture or call him out. Instead, they showed honor and respect for him. Why did they show honor and respect for him? It's all potential. Can we agree another brother or sister in Christ? Hey, he may not understand this correctly, but hey, we know what direction he's wanting to go. Let's, let's pull him over here and let's talk to him. Not canceling him. Yeah. Right? Cancel culture. Hey, you do something I don't like, I'll slander you. And then let's bring it down to a lower level. It's like if somebody does something we disagree with, then we post about it. Man, whatever happened to the day that just bearing your own burden? Just bearing it. Like somebody crosses you or does you wrong? Whatever happened to just taking it and then not saying anything about it? It's like, well, that was a hard one to take, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody airs their laundry now. And let's be honest. The reason a lot of people air their laundry like that is because they're looking for support. Yeah. Validation. Validate me. Validate what I've been through. My goodness. Church, we got to get away from that. we got to get away. Those are feelings. Your feelings do not serve you well. No. They don't serve you good. They take you in the wrong direction. And so that, that can be uh, that can be a trap for us. Someone have their hand up. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I point out that they took him to the side. They didn't blast him in front of everybody and say, hey, you've got this wrong, that wrong, this wrong. To kind of, like you were saying, bring down his character in front of everybody. Yeah. They wanted to take him to the side and teach him. Yeah. Out of love. Respect. And respect. So respect. Could, could we Can we agree that respect is an important attribute to have if you're going to go to church with people? Oh, yeah. Now, see, respect, though, see, respect says, respect is not conditional based on whether I agree with you or not. It's not, it's not based on, well, I agree with you, so I respect you, but I disagree with this brother over here. I disagree with this sister, so I don't respect you. No, it has nothing to do with that. We have to put it in the right order. Respect is just respect across the board. I was talking to my kids about this recently. You respect people. You respect who they are. You, you don't, just because we have a confrontation, or maybe even uh, we, we, had a, we had a falling out. Maybe we said some things that weren't right to each other. And how do, I, how do I go about resolving this? You need to come back to respect. Maybe, maybe you were disrespectful to me. Maybe I was disrespectful to you. But let's put that at the forefront, and let's come back together again, and let's resolve this situation, and let's be respectful first. Then we'll take on the situation. A lot of times respect comes last in the order. I'll respect you if we have to respect because of who we serve. Nothing in the text says Apollos resented instruction. And because chapters 18 and 19 continue to focus on Apollos, we can conclude they were successful. Second, biblical mentoring is ongoing in nature. Earlier, the apostle Paul met Priscilla and Aquila and began living and working with them. No doubt he mentored them, and they in turn mentored Apollos. So it says that um, the, the lesson is mentoring is, an, is ongoing in nature. Uh, so what that means is, let's, let's use this both ways. 
if you're mentoring somebody, they're not going to change overnight. And if you are the one that's needing mentored or you're the one that's needing change, it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to subject yourself on a continual basis to things that change you. This is why, again, this is why we come to church as a group. That's why. We come together because we're all wanting to be more like him. We're all in a changing process right now. You are in a changing process. You're changing. You're not going to be the same person today uh, when you leave as when you came. Even if it's a fraction, you're going to change. Right? So that's worth it. That's worth it. Understanding what we're here for, why we came, what, what all this is about. Okay. Um, let's see here. Let's move down under the results. Paul's letters to the Corinthians bear witness to the powerful ministry of Apollos. Paul had initially established the church there. Then Apollos followed him and contributed his gifts and efforts to the community. I planted the seed in your hearts, Paul writes, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Amen. It's good. As the intentions of both Paul and Apollos, some of the Corinthians fostered a divisive spirit by claiming to follow one or the other. Some also claimed Peter as their leader. This behavior was rooted in their pagan past, and they were used to adhering to various itinerant, if I'm saying that cor correctly, philosophers who would pass through Greek cities. And then if you read those, you study Greek history, that's exactly how they operated. They'd have uh, philosophers and speakers pass through, and they would uh, attract a lot of people, and they would make a lot of good arguments. And so they were... It was pointing to the fact that they would lift these people up and they would put all their trust in them. And then another one would come through. And let's take that person on as our leader. And that was the problem that was going on. And now they're starting to fuss again and say, well, Peter's our leader. We don't listen to Paul. We don't listen to Apollos. We listen to Peter. We listen to what he said. See? And what he was saying was, no, 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 no. We're all on the same page here. We're all preaching the same stuff. No one needs an individual leader to stand out above all others. Christ is the one who stands out above all others. Amen. So as they brought their old way of thinking, we've been talking about this, they brought their old way of thinking into the vastly different kingdom of God. Neither Paul nor Apollos was to blame, but continued in mutual support. Second Corinthians describes the restoration of relationship between the church and Paul. Okay, now it asked a question here, and we're going to move to section three. I've got just about five minutes. Does the church today sometimes bring in cultural baggage that is foreign to the ways of the kingdom of God. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask you about specifics. <laughs> We're not even covering that this morning. The answer is yes. And what you're going to have to do is you need to figure out, not about someone else. Now, it's easy. It's way easy to look at someone else and say, oh, they, they're bringing in baggage, and they're bringing in baggage. For the sake of, of just health and wellness spiritually, how about... You ask yourself this morning if you bring in any cultural baggage. Just you. Ask you, yourself, individually, do you bring in any cultural baggage that could hinder the teachings and the things that go on within a particular service? I think that's a good question to ask. That makes sure that we're assured up and that we're in the right place and that we're not, maybe, maybe it's something we're going to have to work on, but we begin to push those things out and begin to come in with a different attitude and a different outlook. All right, so part three, devotion to corporate Bible reading. The biblical texts began as singular manuscripts long before copy machines or printing presses. Unlike today, most individuals could not possess a copy of the letter to their own church, much less a collection of texts. 
Moreover, literacy rates were certainly well below today's. Most believers only access to the sacred text was via public reading, which is another reason why they gathered together and listened to it in the synagogues, was because the literacy rates were so bad. It wasn't, well, once again, total different in culture. We just assumed that everybody back then was reading just like we are now. No, it was, I mean, nothing even remotely close to what you and I experience now. Nothing like that. So it was uh, much different the way that they learned God's word. The church heard them together, often read aloud in full, as letters are intended to be read as they were gathered. Few of us would trade the privilege of possessing and reading our Bibles to return to the ancient model. No, I don't want to return to the ancient model. But I think you're going to have to ask yourself, what was, what was the new model established for, and how do I take full advantage of it? And I mean that in, in a positive way. Why was the new model established the way that it is, and how can I take full advantage of it? We can argue all day long about why you should or should not go to church. We can go all day long. I can show you the history of it. I can show you how it morphed into what it is today in Western culture. I can show you. We can have that conversation. I can show you the value of it. We could talk about that. But see, that's, it's, it gets petty when you and I start going back and forth. And I, I've said this before. You've heard me say it in Sunday school. If you guys start asking that question, we're off on the wrong foot. <laughs> And that question is, do I have to go to service? Do I have to go? And I'm thinking, man, that's what kids ask. <laughs> that's what kids ask, is, is do I have to go? I remember my, my teacher, I'd ask him, said, do I have to? He said, no, you get to. That's the way he would always address me. No, I mean, you gotta have the right heart for it, absolutely, You're, you, need, you need to have the right motive, but we've been given something freely and something very advantageous for you and I, we should take full advantage of it. We should want to, to glean from the environment and glean from each other, glean from our situation, because uh, we have it very good. Would you agree? Amen. Okay. Few of us. Oh, I read that already. Yet we are. Uh, we may be missing an important shared experience. What would it be like to hear God's word read in all its power and in full context with the whole community it addressed? How can we recapture that impact? Well, if it was going to be like it was then, there was. Um, there was three prayer times, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock. Three prayer times. And that the whole city <coughs> showed up at this different synagogues for the reading of the word. Everyone. Now think about that. Think about what kind of an impact that would have if everything shuts down and everybody comes together. Actually, it wasn't too long ago that it was like that. Wasn't too long ago. Go go back and look in history. When a revival came to town, um, it was uh, and I read some history on this. It was um, who's the, who's the recent one that just passed away? Charles Stanley passed away. Well, it wasn't Charles Stanley though. He was a big evangelist. We all Billy know him. Graham. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. <laughs> Billy Graham. In some of his revivals. They would shut the whole town down. Everybody was there. That's a that's impactful. That's different than well, I don't really want to mess with any of that stuff. Understanding the power of a group gathering, <clears throat> understanding that because they knew it, they understood it. There's a lot of importance in what this man's about to say. We're shutting everything down. Believers and unbelievers alike went. Amen. They both went. 
because they understood the importance of the reading of God's word for the community. And so I think that's it. That's an important thing. Okay, I'm out of time, guys. I apologize. So I don't have. I don't really want to even get in the last paragraph because I don't want to go past that time. Uh, but there's been a lot of information here to discuss about the power and the, the value of a group and us being together. And I'm glad that you are here on this Mother's Day. Uh, there's a lot of good things that are to come. Pastor's about to, to bring the word. Let's enjoy the service and enjoy the presence of each other. God bless you guys. Thank you. Amen.